Mac Power Users, episode 311, The Switcher Show. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my partner in crime, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. Uh, this is an interesting show. We've For years, we've been getting all these emails from people who listen to our show and say, hey, I'm still on a PC, but I love your show. And we get all these questions about switching. We also hear from a lot of people who have already switched, but they're trying to get someone in their family to switch or also quite often their boss to switch. You know? yeah. Or maybe they've <laughs> switched at home, but want to switch at work. Exactly. So we thought, you know what? We, we've had on the list for years, switcher show. And today is the day we're going to do a switcher show. And I thought uh, for a show like this, I would really like to bring in some uh, expertise and I know exactly the guy. Um, James Coleman is a friend of mine. He is a he runs a business that really switches uh, businesses, and he has, a, I believe, something like twenty years and sixty thousand hours of experience. He's an old Mac hand. He switches businesses every day from PC to Mac. Uh, James Coleman, welcome to the show. David and Katie, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be on the show. Yeah, well, I, I think your expertise here is just going to be crucial for a lot of people. Um, uh, now, now Katie, I know you were, I think when you were in the crib, your parents put a Mac in there. Isn't that how it went? Something yes. like that. Yeah, that's, that's, I pretty much demanded it from right from birth. So I, it's interesting. I have never been a switcher. I have been, um, a Mac all of the time. I only once owned a PC and to my credit, I never actually bought it. I, I, I got a PC, I guess I did technically buy it. My first year of law school, because it was required for my program, you had you literally had to buy the the spec PC for the first year of law school. And I bought it and I just kind of set it on the desk and never used it, never took it anywhere except to exams because it was required for exams. It was it a laptop? Laptop? Then. Oh, it was one of the horrible, horrible Dell laptops that was like three inches thick. And it just it was. Oof. But um, <laughs> so, yes, I did. I, I have owned a PC. Um, but I, I've never been a switcher. I, w- I started on, on, I think we probably covered this at some point in our sorted history, but I, I started with an Apple II and then, um, I played around with both Macs and Atari ST computers. There's an old one, probably people have never heard of before. Um, but you know, as a Mac guy and eventually uh, when I was kind of a baby lawyer, you didn't have a choice. You had to use a PC. So I used PCs. I bought a PC for the house because I needed it. And, um, but so I, I've been kind of in and out of the Mac for those first few years of my career. So I'm kind of a switcher, but not really because I've kind of always been a Mac user. But did, but boy, did you have a we, Mac at all times during that time? I mean, just to kind um, of like a get couple the years off? I didn't. I mean, Ugh. a couple of years it had kind of dried up on me and frankly, they just didn't have the stuff I need. That's one of the things we're going to talk about today because the legal software was so particular and, uh, but thankfully that wasn't too long. And, um, but, but let's get kind of where we're at. Uh, today in 2016, um, so we talked a little bit about in the intro how there's different people coming to switching. You know, it may be somebody who's always had a Mac and trying to bring their work over, or their spouse, or maybe you are truly a PC user who's you know wondering if the grass is greener. Um, James, what are some of the advantages to switching to the Apple platform at this point? So funny, as I was listening to you guys talking about the past, I I thought you were going to ask me about 
Commodore 64s. And oh, things wait like a that. second. Don't tell me you're a Commodore 64 guy. You know, my first machine was a Commodore 64 and I had like three games on it and I learned how to write basic on it. And then, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't stand it. It just sat there collecting dust because I just. That was a pretty good computer, really, for the time. It was awesome, except I was thinking to myself the whole time, okay, so this is a computer for writing programs, but I want to do things with it. So I didn't look at creating programs as actually doing something, but it is for a programmer, it just wasn't for me. And then um, my first uh, Mac was a Mac Plus that... Oh, that was a great one. It was incredible. Yeah, my mom was a graphic artist and she was ironically um, doing graphics for what was Irvine's most successful PC maker. Uh, if you guys remember AST Technologies. Yes. And their entire graphics department was nothing. Yeah, that, they manufactured PCs. Yeah, exactly. They actually made PCs, uh, Albert, Safi, and Tom. And those guys actually ran a really successful PC business. And their entire graphics department was all Mac-based. And so I got to go in there <laughs> on the weekends and play with these things. And for me, it was just magic. And then I got a Mac 2CX and then a Quadra 660 AV. And I had a Quadra 660 AV. You had a Quadra 2? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, the old Digic processor and stuff. That was awesome. Um, so, so the question though, David, you asked was, is, um, is just about this, about what you can do today. Yeah. I I can tell you one advantage. I, I was in an airport recently and you know, it's still kind of the thing where people see Max and they walk up and talk to you. Not so much as it used to be. I mean, it used to be like you were in a club, you know, when you opened a Mac in an airport Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I was talking to a guy, uh, who was an IT director at a big, um, advertising agency. And he says, yeah, half the house of our business is uh is creatives and they all use Macs and half the house's business and they all use PCs and he says I have I forget the numbers but I think he said something like four he has four IT staff and like he's assigned three and a half of them to deal with the PCs and he he basically deals with the Macs during his lunch hour and uh so I guess one advantage is they're just a lot easier to manage you know I think uh, there's actually I have a customer who um he is from Japan. And we were, he and I were talking about a month ago about this particular topic. And we were talking about um, a lot of individuals and we were specifically talking about business people, right? But this applies to everybody. Uh, we were talking about business people, including CEOs of like mid-market companies and stuff like that. But, but everything he was saying to me was the same for a small business. And he was likening uh, your computer or your smartphone to what should be a samurai sword for a business person, right? It should be the the device, uh, or in this case, the uh, weapon that you wield the best. And yet he and I were both in agreement that most people out there have a device that's been issued to them. It's just kind of standard as a check mark, right? You show yeah. up for the job, you get your PC. And then what ends up happening is at that point, the friction begins. And that's what those two or three or four, the armada of IT guys are for, is to actually help you with all the things you can't do and, and first of all, it's the, usually what can you do and then helping you actually do it. And I think that the number one advantage I, I see, uh, cause I deal with a lot of small business owners and consultants and freelancers and stuff is when, when you make the switch to a Mac, you're liberated, you need no one anymore. You know, there's certain basics and stuff, but then at that point, the sky's the limit and you can just go as fast and as far and as you want. And there's no one to tell, you no, it's all about, you know, how do you do it? And then you bump into other Mac users and all of a sudden you start learning from them and it becomes a real amazing thing that I don't think in the 20 years that I've been doing this, I've ever seen this level of community in, in the windows world. It's always been community between like, you know, it guys in the windows world, 
but you can take business owners that have their MacBook Pros that meet in a in a um, airport, you know, on a layover, and they're teaching each other things about you know, the things that they can do. I, I think you know that's always been something about Mac users. I I've I've said it before. I, I really believe that Mac users generally are more creative. I mean, every time you talk to a Mac user, every one of them creates some way. They do music or they make furniture or there's just all these creative people. And for some reason, they're attracted to this platform. And and I guess that's another point in Apple's favor in terms of the Apple platform is is the software. I mean, you've got the same types of creative people writing software for it. And it's just great software. I know that like in my uh, when I was using the PC for work, uh, you just never had software like BB edit. You never had, you know, all of the great indie software developers like the Omni group and some of them that sponsor the show. And, uh, it, it there's just nothing like it on the PC side. And, and I don't think that's true today either. Well, and I think also software developers that pay the care and attention to the user experience, to the interface. I mean, I, I still drive a PC at work I would say maybe once a week or a couple of times a month for certain specific software that we use. And you can either do that through virtualization or in my case, I do it just because I have a PC box assigned to me with a box that I keep under my desk. And every time I go into this PC specific software that we use, I think about what a horrible user interface it is, what a horrible experience it is. Um, just compared to some of the software that we use on the Mac. And I think it's because it's a very different mindset when uh, you have developers designing for one versus the other. Uh, yeah, when, I, when I was at the firm, the firm, um, the uh, there was this, app, this, this software we used to manage the law practice. And I'm not going to use this name because I don't want to get sued. But I told James knows exactly what I'm talking about. No. And, and, uh, and I am. Um, I, I counted once and to link an email to a matter, it was like seven clicks with the mouse to just link an email to a matter. It's like the guy he created, whoever did the user interface of that application, like it's like almost he couldn't have made it more difficult. And you think about how many times a day you're required to do that. And it's just it makes you insane. Just as a quick note here, um, David, just recall, I want you to recall exactly what you just said the next time somebody. uh brings up what I just wrote about Mac users having eight extra years of life yeah. compared to PC users. I actually, um, Katie, uh, I, I tend to dollarize things, but also count seconds of time. And the, the running um, example I use is that I changed my email address from J Coleman to JC, just so I could uh, not have to spell my name out to people younger than baby boomers 12 times a day. And if you add that time that I was spelling my name out, you know, and annualize it, it came out to like, I don't know, 14 hours of my life per year, just spelling Coleman. And, um, James, you're my kind of nerd. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I P touch everything in my house in two different languages. Uh, the, um, but the thing is though, I did the exact same thing because in my day job here, I still, work with windows, right? Because, um, getting that expertise in windows is actually what helped me to really focus in on switching. And I started paying attention to how long and arduous are these processes that I was doing just basic routine stuff that my architect client or the drafter or the graphic artist or whoever would be doing. And I, I just kind of just did some quick and dirty Fermi estimation and came out to 
over uh, a 30-year career, I think that um, a Mac user gets the advantage of about eight extra years of life that they can spend doing whatever they want to do because it's just that much easier. Wow. That's <laughs> okay. A, I, I think, uh, you know, Apple marketing should be talking to you about that. <laughs> I wonder how you put that in a commercial. <laughs> well, I think text expander has saved me like weeks. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I have the perfect segue to our first sponsor read. All right, go for it. Because that's, that's our friends over at smile. Yes, that's right. Smile makes an application called Text Expander, and I was just making reference to it. So Text Expander does that thing where you type a few letters in, and it it fills out a bunch of text for you. The the most basic example I use like many many times a day is my signature. Like I have, uh, I have a short signature and a long one for the legal side. You know, and if I say uh, S L A W, that's short law, then it puts in the short one that just has my name and my phone number and a couple bits of data. If I put L L-A-W, that's the long law. It puts in the address and a bunch of other nonsense. So uh, that's something I do to do signatures, and it works every day. I do the same thing with my cell phone number, C-C-E-L-L, and boom, it just puts my phone number in. And it's it's formatted properly with the parentheses, and it looks nice. So much faster to do it that way than to, to write it out. But Text Expander is so much more than that. It goes beyond. It gives you the ability to create fill-in snippets where you can write text, but it, then it gives you little blanks you can fill things in. Uh, a lot of people that listen to our show that do customer support email, uh, they use this. In fact, we get emails all the time or, or twi- tweets from them saying, oh, I can't believe I didn't do this before because it just makes that process of customer support so much easier. It does fill-ins. It does drop-downs. You can even access the clipboard. I do that sometimes in the day job where I've got uh, bits of information in the clipboard and I want to insert it into an, a, a text expander snippet. It can do that. Uh, the whole thing uh, syncs over Dropbox and iCloud. So you can work with on any Mac and not only any Mac, you can use on iOS as well because they have a really great application on iOS. So your uh, iPhone and your iPad is going to get it. Um, they've got a way to search the snippets from your menu bar or even a keyboard shortcut. And you can even add snippet groups from external files and online sources. So frequent misspellings or like I have the symbols library. That's one. I want to use symbols all the time. So I've got snippets attached to all of them. And I haven't even told you everything else it can do. It's also got automation tools built in. Uh, Just imagine a text expansion tool made by the people who want to make the best text expansion tool in the world. And that is text expander. So I want you to go over to smilesoftware.com and take a look at this thing. It's, it's just an awesome application. I, probably a week doesn't go by that I don't get an email or a tweet from someone saying, I've been listening to you talk about it. I finally downloaded it and tried it, and I can't believe I waited this long. Uh, I, I, have, I have literally saved, I think, years of my life uh, with this application. I just can't emphasize how much uh, it can change your game if you spend a lot of time at a computer or an iPad or an iPhone. So thank you, Smile, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. And everybody out there who hasn't tried Text Expander, now is the day. Stop right now. Go ahead, pause. We'll be okay if you come back in a few minutes. Download Text Expander and save yourself some time. Hey, is it okay if I thank Smile too? <laughs> Absolutely. I can't believe I get to thank Smile. Actually, um, David and Katie, uh, Text Expander is one of the apps that I actually make mandatory. Um, and I, mandatory sounds like a strong word, but when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, you know, I heard you can help me switch and so forth at the end, 
there's about a dozen apps and that's one of the ones that's just kind of like you will do this and that's it and then show them and then of course after that they can't live without it yeah, it's life-changing you cannot live without it after that yeah, yep. exactly. so thank you so one of the obviously we've talked about some of the advantage of the apple platform and if we could do an entire podcast talking about the advantages of the apple platform clearly well, well, we let me just before we move on though okay I see I, I i knew you do i just i just want to make this he can't help we'll himself folks because I, it, it kind of gives me a chance to rub it in a little bit. Because uh, one of the points that we always talk about with Apple is it's a hardware and software integration. You get the same company making both pieces of the widget. The widget usually works better. And for years, and for years, when I'm a Mac user, I kept hearing from Microsoft people, yeah, but Microsoft's got the better idea. They're going to make really good software and let somebody else handle the hardware. Well, you know, and now we're recording this in 2016. What's Microsoft doing right now? They're making PCs. If you go in the Microsoft store, they're making their own PCs now. They, they're they uh, they're now uh, agreeing with Apple, at least in conduct, if not words. So I just wanted to rub that in a little bit. Okay. All right. Now, David, now I don't I, think now they can, can I don't think they can help it anymore because uh, for for those on the podcast that have a background in programming or, or are technical enough to know about how hardware and software talks uh, in the old days back then, it was uh, I. I won't even get back into what I was doing back then, but in the old days it was kind of like uh, tinker toys and Legos. And now you cannot make software anymore unless you have control of the hardware design. And I think everybody on um, who is up on Kickstarter projects and things like that knows that all the stuff that's coming out nowadays, you hire not just software and hardware guys, but you also hire guys who understand how to merge the two and marry the two and make the two work. So uh, Apple's got a 20 year leg up on everybody else out there right now. Okay. So clearly we could talk about the advantages of the Apple platform all day long. You know, uh, that's what we do on just about every other episode of this podcast. But (laughs) there are some disadvantages of leaving Windows, especially if you're in a professional environment that tends to depend on on Windows. I mean, there can be some pain points. And, you know, David and I come from this from a legal standpoint, so I I don't want to dwell on that. But whether you're an attorney, whether you're an architect, whether you're a physician, you know, there are some specialized areas where still today um, Windows is king and where you can find you will not find that specialized software that you need um, made for the Mac. And I think that is changing. I think a lot of these things are tending to go um, more cloud based. But, for example, the, the software program that we use in our office um, for drafting documents. Um, and same thing, the major program that we used in my previous office for real estate work, that none of that was available on the Mac. It was all completely 100% Windows-based. And so having P- a PC or access to a PC or virtualizing a PC was a requirement. I, I remember when Katie told me that you were going to make a specialty out of estate planning for your practice. And I didn't say it to you at the time because I didn't want to make you feel bad. But I'm thinking Katie's going to be using Windows for a long time because all that estate planning software, at least in California, is all Windows. It still is. It still is, you know, across across the nation. And now, again, I think it's going to I think 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we'll be having a different conversation as this stuff moves to the Web. But it's it's all legacy. Um, So at least for the short term, you're you're going to be, you know, like me, you're going to have the PC box under your desk or or you're going to be virtualizing. Now, the good news is, is that's gotten a lot better than it has before. Um, You know, some of the bad news is, is that, you know, especially if you're going into a firm where you may be the only Mac in a firm. And David, I know you were there for a while and and I'm there now. um, you, You may also run into some other friction points like 
For example, if you're the only Mac in a firm, getting support may be difficult because they may not be set up to support you. Um, you may not want them to support you. That's been one of the issues that I've had. Um, I, thankfully, I've been in a position, I, I just change the passwords and I tell the IT guys, do not touch my computer. Just don't. If I have a problem, I will fix it. You don't touch this. You can you, do whatever you, know, you want with that PC box down there, but you don't touch this. You know how sometimes, and I say this with love, Katie, sometimes I get the judgmental silence on the show. Yeah. Just once in a while. Not very often. You, you think I might be a little bit bossy about that? Uh, no, I'm just thinking, oh, it must be so much worse for your IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the IT people don't like me at I all. Just, I, I at can't all. imagine being your IT guy coming in your office and, and they probably like their... You know, they probably got their Microsoft certification and they're looking at this Mac and oh man, it must just kill them. What about you, James? How do you deal with that when um you guys you, you go to somebody and they say, Oh, I want to switch, but you find out they've got all this native uh, software that you know, this Windows only software that they're gonna need. You know, um I I was actually just thinking about that because in the last three months I actually um you want me to address that from a business perspective, individual perspective? Well, just generally, you know, I guess it's the same. It really is the same thing. So here's, here's a, here is what I'll, I'll give you the best example and I'll just use a law firm example. So I have, uh, in the last year, um, been hired by four law firms to come in who actually were interested in switching to Mac and they heard that I could do this. And so I went in and, and did the consulting to show them how to do this. And, um, one of my favorite things nowadays is that at the end of the day, there's switching to the Mac experience for each one of the users. So when I took each one of the, the individuals who's going to be using their computer and you look at the things that they do 90% of the time, email documents, printing, emailing, things like this, then, uh, that's one thing. But then what do you do about all those proprietary applications? Right. And those, I just actually, I use virtualization. I switch over and we continue. What we do is we isolate and we uh, kind of contain the Windows infrastructure. And we just keep running it because that stuff is probably going to have to continue running for years on end because the people who make those proprietary applications have no interest in moving them to the web most of the time. But when we do that, um, they, you know, there's two different scenarios. There's people who are going to run on their Mac and they're going to run purely on the Mac. And then another great example is last week, uh, one of the customers have been working for since the nineties when, um, there was huge promise that AutoCAD was going to come out with AutoCAD for the Mac. This is for architects. And they did at one point. And it unfortunately went really, really sideways and didn't work out well. Um, when you walk into this one architect's office, you see nothing but Apple hardware anywhere through the entire company. But the architects who are busy working eight, nine, 10 hour days um, designing really amazing designs are actually doing it on IMAX running Windows in bootcamp mode. Yeah. So you virtualize at the local level. You can also do it at the server level, I guess, if you have to. Yeah. In this case, I, I, I remember years ago when the this one architect was, it was not a big firm. It's only about 10 people. Um, but they were really pained because they knew they needed new equipment and it was either, are we going to go buy new HPs? Or are we going to, we really want to switch to Mac. Can we do it? And they'd been told three separate times by three separate, uh, Mac consultants. No, you can't because you've got this limitation. And what I looked at is Apple has opened up the tools for us to basically run in bootcamp mode, not virtualization, but bootcamp number one. So that way there's no limitations. You can't complain about performance or anything else like that. So they run natively 
And then when the day comes that the applications come, if they come, when they come, then you can switch back into the Mac. And and one of the things I think, David, you asked me, uh, we were talking about this earlier um, about, you know, uses for bootcamp. One of the things I really like to do for people who are kind of on the, on the, um, the line as to do I do virtualization or do to bootcamp? Sometimes you could do both. Most people don't know you can actually point VMware Fusion or even Parallels at a bootcamp partition and run that as your virtual machine. So you could boot out of Windows back into your Mac. But if you need to grab something out of Windows or see something real quick or respond to an email or do something with a proprietary application, just reboot and do it and then let the PC fall back asleep and just stay happily working away in your Mac. Well, I definitely want to talk about virtualization in more detail because there's a lot to say about that. But I think maybe maybe the next step is to look at, okay, so let's say we, we've considered, you know, the the app audit or the, uh, you know, uh, let's take a take a look at what are the steps necessary if you want to get yourself switching or get somebody else switching. Um, I know, Katie, uh, you had some definite thoughts on this when we were, when we were prepping the show. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you need to do is you've got to take an inventory of what is it that that you need to do? Uh, what are the programs that you run on a daily basis? You know, what are the programs that you run regularly? And then how frequently are you doing that? Are you doing it daily? Are you doing it monthly? Are you doing it a couple of times a year? I think that will give you an idea of where your pain points are going to be. Uh, if you have a program that you're using every day, um, and, and it's a Windows only program, that's going to be a little harder because then you know that you're going to have to be booting up Windows and you're going to be virtualizing every day. If you're having a program that you use a couple of times a month, then you know, you're probably going to have several days a week that you're not booting into Windows. If you're having a program that maybe you only use once a quarter to do reconciliations or once a month or something like that, that's now you're a lot more manageable. So I think, I the, mean, how many, how many listeners have we heard from that say, I love my Mac. I have a PC in a corner that runs QuickBooks. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and so I think that's the very first thing you do. And maybe just don't take an inventory of a day, but maybe take inventory over over the course of a month or over the course of a couple of weeks. And even just go through go through your applications folder and see what do I use um, and how often am I using these types of things. And then go through those applications. And a lot of times those applications can be stale as well. So for example... If you've got, if you're, if QuickBooks, to use that as an example, happens to be your issue, do you need to be running QuickBooks? Could you look at a QuickBooks in the cloud type solution? So how many of these apps do you have? What of those apps have, uh, if they're Windows-based apps, what of those apps have Mac components? What is going to be your cost to switch to a Mac component? You know, do, do those apps have parity with each other? And I know, you know, QuickBooks and Quicken type products are, are ones that people swear that PC versions are, are totally different from the Mac versions and they don't have parity. And then are there are there alternatives? Are, are there cloud solutions? Are there alternative applications? Because clearly, if you can stay in the native Mac realm, you're going to be a lot better. So I, that's the very first thing you have to do is is take inventory and figure out where your pain points are going to be. James, what do you see? Uh, like, I, I know that like the QuickBooks or financial management software is probably one of the biggest barriers for companies switching. I, I say that the answer is kind of twofold. So obviously we always have that fallback of being able to say that 100% of any application out there in Windows, um, uh, you know, for modern Windows, right, can actually run 
on a Mac. So the good news is we always have this as a fallback, but that's not the first thing that I like to talk about. Usually what I do is if a company is concerned about that, let's just say that that pops up as their major concern. What I'll ask them is <clears throat> when we're done, what do you need to have working? What, what is, what's the functionality you need to have? What do you need to be able to do? And then also, usually one of the questions I'll throw out there is what about your current platform do you not like and wish would be different? And if so, how would it be different? And that conversation, even though we don't necessarily do anything with it all the time, that conversation is extremely important because what will sometimes happen is you'll find out that the, the person of the company switching has a belief that they need to have the application that they're currently using the status quo. And that, that belief can be really, really true when you're talking about a database application or something highly complex or, or um, extremely invested in. But more often than not, what happens is the process of switching actually becomes this amazing opportunity to do business or lifestyle reengineering and say, hey, is there something else out there that's actually better? In fact, David, I even recently came to you. I, I think you remember I came to you and asked you a, a question that had to do with uh, time. And yeah. the reason why is because I've got the the luxury of of recognizing that when um, you look at switching, you can look at it as this exploration process to find out what else out there is better. So most of the time nowadays in the Mac universe, there is something better. And in those cases where there's not and we have to preserve and protect what they've got, then we default back down to let's uh, let's go ahead and virtualize the environment and preserve it. Yeah, it's interesting to me, both you, uh, James said this to me before we started recording and Katie said it just a minute ago about kind of the hit list. Uh, you know, before you switch, what is the stuff that you do every day? And if you're helping somebody switch, especially if you're helping somebody switch, um, identifying that hit list beforehand, because a lot of times switchers don't know what it is that they're, they need. Uh, but, but identifying that in advance and having a solution before you even go to the Apple store to buy the computer, but knowing in your head that you have a solution to that hit list, I think can make the process of switching so much easier. Well, and I think also to point out the hit list also has to involve more than software. You have to include hardware too, especially in a business setting. We, you use more than software if you're in any kind of manufacturing setting, um, or if maybe you have a point of sales terminal that that runs specialized software, or if you have a postal scale or postal system um, that's doing things, or I'm just trying to think of specific types of things, you know, look around your business. If you have specialized printers or copiers. Um, or an ancient Twain scanner, how often do you, those things are still around, you know? Right. Um you know, how, how is this hardware that you have in your office? Take a look at the hardware that you have in your office that's, you know, and e even something as simple as just looking at what's plugged into the back of that computer. You know, what, what's plugged into that ethernet cable or that SCSI, they're not called SCSI cables, but you know, those, those parallel cables, um, what's, what's plugged in at the other end of that ethernet port? What are the other things around your office? And then how are those going to work? Because sometimes the software isn't the problem. Sometimes it's the other hardware pieces. You know, if you've got a, a $10,000 plus, you know, multi-function copier, printer, scanner, fax, collator type machine, and you're not going to have the proper drivers to be able to run that from a, from a Mac and you can't get those proper drivers, you know, that could be a big problem. Because now if you can't print to that machine that you print to all the time, now you're looking at other issues too. So. Also definitely take a, an inventory of the hardware. And then I think the other thing you also have to look at is, is what are your goals? What, what are you trying to achieve by switching? Are, are you trying to achieve the goal of, um, you know, somebody told me the Mac was cool, so I wanted to check it out? 
Well, that's probably not a reason to switch your whole office. That may be a one a reason to switch one workstation and or maybe to switch at home and see if it works for you and to try something as experiment, but you know, not to go out and buy, you know, twenty thousand dollars worth of hardware to switch your whole office. Um, are are your goals to um, be more productive because you're more comfortable on a Mac? Are your goals to minimize your IT costs because you're currently spending thirty thousand dollars a year in IT costs and you think you can cut that in half if you if you switch to a Mac based office? I mean, I think you have to to look at your goals and then compare that to you know what are your overall costs going to be associated with the switch? You know, with new hardware, with new software you know, with the upfront startup costs? And then, you know, when are you looking at recouping some of that through achieving your goals? So James, since the last time you saw a parallel port? You know, we fixed a, a Mac Plus in here not too long ago. And the reason why is because <laughs> it was connected to three pin Apple Talk to a $30,000 German vinyl cutting plotter. Ah. And the, the thing is, uh, what was that? If it ain't broke. Well, in this case, they looked at the cost, uh, the thousand dollar cost of, uh, of of just resources trying to pull together this ancient little device, which was sitting right next to a Mac Pro. And all it was is just really a print queue. But at the end of the day, what, what Katie's talking about, I mean, Katie um, is absolutely spot on because it's about protecting your platform. And one of the things that I think never comes up in the switching conversation, because so much of the Apple marketing model is uh, that we all partake in, and I definitely do, is, um, you know, we see somebody using this thing, they're loving it. You could tell they're happy by this huge smile on their face. We talk to them, they tell us how happy we are, we get jealous, and then we go buy it. And, um, and that, you know, ultimately is great. But at the end of the day, there's this thing called platform, which is what are every single little tiny piece of the system that you're planning on switching or the pieces that are going to be affected by it, because it's, it's got a ripple effect. You take one thing out and it might be connected to more things. And then in addition to things, it's not just the hardware and the software. It's also the training. Um, I've seen I've seen switches that have been executed flawlessly, except for the training getting brushed to the side because we don't need that. We're too busy. And then the switch goes completely sideways because you could switch out an office. And if uh, if people don't know how to use the new stuff, even the basics, even just an hour of training, then you're going to have an office in disarray or a family in disarray. And it's just, uh, there's so many things that have to be thought about. And that's why um, I wanted to comment on something Katie said. I, I actually, in the top level of my switching conversation with someone, when somebody says, hey, I want to switch, the first thing I want to do and get out of them is what is their future picture? What's their vision? What does their life look like? What is it, what is it that they think they're going to be able to do differently than they currently do today? And when they can articulate that back to me, and tell me, and I can even help them and ask them questions like, Hey, do you mean this? Do you mean that? And then we add up all that time and what their lifestyle is going to look like differently or how the business can be affected. I just did this for um, a law firm of, of seven, uh, seven people, total four attorneys. And when I actually got the information out of them, I happened to find an extra million dollars, literally a million dollars that would just fall to the bottom line with no additional overtime, as long as the boss man could go out and get new business to fill the pipeline. Because switching to the Mac would make them that friction-free. So then all of a sudden you've quantified that. Now, when you have the conversation that Katie's talking about, because that's the most uncomfortable one that um, that usually most technical folks, and again, I hope I'm not making a lot of people angry by saying this, but most techs are used to winging it and and fixing things as they go. 
or resolving problems break as fix. they go. Break yeah. fix. Break fix, exactly. And you cannot, break fix cannot be part of this process because just take an example of somebody who's going to switch from one Mac to another Mac. And if they don't know that they're going to need the serial number for Microsoft Office that they bought two or three years ago that might be on a box somewhere in the garage and it's a business person or somebody who needs Microsoft Office and they get that brand new Mac back and it says, hey, we're happy to work with you. You just need to do this. All of a sudden, the extra $280 or whatever cost to buy a new version of Office versus the proposition of having to go in your garage and dig for hours becomes really a sour taste. But if somebody said that up front, if you bring everything up front and say, you know what, your fully burdened cost for switching is going to be this. Here's all the work we're going to need to do. I have never yet in 20 years met a single business professional who told me no. What they would do sometimes is their eyes would get really big and they go, ooh, boy, that's a lot more money than I thought. That's more than the guy in the store told me. Uh, But then they'll go, they'll go, you know, but we want to do it right. And so now they'll schedule it. They'll just say, wait, they always say yes or wait, but never know. Yeah. So anyway, I got a, a, a little bit expansive there, David, but, but, uh, I think that, uh, it, I would echo everything Katie said. I think it's really about, uh, what you want to do and then really planning. That Katie Floyd's pretty smart. Yeah. Hey, we, I want to talk about, um, we, you know, now that we've decided we're going to do it, we've done all the prep. How do we go about switching? But before we do that, let's hear from our next sponsor. Yeah, our next sponsor is another great app to have. And you know what? You can have them on the Mac. You can have them on the PC, too, if you can't switch. Um, you can also have them on the Android uh, if you want to. And that is 1Password. Um, 1Password is probably the application that you need to have on your systems, regardless of which system you're running, because it is all about upping your security game. 1Password is the password manager that is going to ensure that you have strong, unique passwords for all of your various websites without having to remember them all, because we all know that we need to do this. It is important that you have strong, unique passwords to every single website and service that you have. But who wants to do that, right? You know, you don't want your staff um, using the same passwords over and over again. You don't want them to have that password cheat sheet that they keep taped to their monitor or hidden under the keyboard. Yeah, I found them in my office. I know where they are. Um, You don't want them to use that same password for everything over and over again. And the way that you keep them from doing that is to set them up with a good password management system like 1Password. And now that 1Password has a great Teams feature, you can even help them manage their passwords and make sure that they are in compliance with these password policies um, and so that you have some control and make sure that the right people have access to the right things. Uh, 1Password has gotten a lot of improvements recently, and they've recently released 1Password version 1.6 for Mac. And with 1.6, this, the, or excuse me, 1Password version 6.1 uh, for Mac. And with the point one updates, it's all about the little things that make it come together uh, to, to make it great. You know, ver- version 6 was a huge update. Um, and with the point one update to that, they're just continuing to, to needle in. Like, for example, they've made some tweaks to the 1Password mini browser um, to make it easier for you to find the right login by displaying a login's username uh, and a title next to an item when you have duplicate items. So if you have multiple Google accounts, it'll say, well, this is the username for this Google account. Is this the one you want or is this the one you want? Um, They have added a documents feature, especially if you're using teams and families. That's one of the best new features about 1Password is that documents have become first-class citizens in 1Password. And in version 6.1, documents have become even better because now you can add notes and custom fields to documents. So you can scan in those really important documents like birth certificates and death certificates, things that members of your family may need to have access to and you want them to have access to. Keep them secure in 1Password and you can add extra notes and information about them. 
Um, Sync has gotten even better in 1Password version 6.1. They've rebuilt the Sync engine, and they have now scheduled it at the core level, which means Sync now takes fewer resources, and they've improved iCloud Sync for the Agile Bit Store version of 1Password. So you can use iCloud Sync with the version of 1Password that you buy directly from Agile Bits. You don't have to get it anymore directly from the Mac App Store. Um, and they've even made registering 1Password a little bit easier. You know, 1Password is not only a great place to store your passwords, but you can store all those software serial numbers now too. So you don't have to go digging through your garage for hours to find your license key to, to Microsoft Office. You can store that, all of that stuff, and I encourage you to, um, in 1Password so you don't have to go digging for it. But to make life a little bit easier, now that you've got all that stored stuff stored in 1Password and it syncs, 1Password's going to recognize its own license file out of 1Password and automatically register itself because they can. Why not? Um, So that's all great stuff that you can check out and you can get more information about signing up yourself, signing up your family, or signing up your team for 1Password by heading over to their website at onepassword.com. So thanks to 1Password for their continued support of Mac Power users. So you've decided you're going to switch. So you just, uh, or you're going to switch your spouse or your boss. So you just go buy a new Mac, right? And bring it home and you're all good, right? That, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> all right. What are the steps you need to do if you're going to start switching somebody or yourself? Well, I think one of the things that you need to take into consideration um, is what is the learning curve? Because we as Mac users just assume, you know, the Mac is so easy. Uh, anybody can do it. it. It's not that big of a deal. But the reality is, is if you have someone who's maybe a more novice computer user, they've probably learned how to do very particular things on a PC. Um, or if they've been a PC user all of their life, or maybe they're a little bit older user, uh, making a switch is, is going to be uh, kind of a little traumatizing event in their life. Now, it may ultimately, and I think it will ultimately be for the better, but I don't think you can just say, this is better here, use it, um, and put a new Mac or a new i on their desk or a new iPhone in their hand or, or hand them an, uh, an iPad and say, this is what you're going to use from now on. So I, I think if you're going to make a switch, you need to plan in some level of training, whether that's a switch for an individual or whether it's a switch for a corporation um, in, in terms of how are you going to set this person up for success? Are you going to schedule one-on-one tutorials? Are you going to have them sign up for some classes? Are, are you going to sit down with them and, and show them exactly what are the key things they need to do to get their work done? Because I don't think you can just put the Mac on their desk and say, go for it. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's the point. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, considering goals and things like that, but then there's the boots on the ground problem. When you make the transition, it's a lot of times uh, you or your, or your spouse or your boss or whoever you're switching over can get hung up on really little things. I had a, a friend who switched and she, her big complaint to me was, I don't like the way you have to close windows because I'm used to doing it on the right side. You know, the top of the right window, you hit the little X on windows and on the Mac, it's, little red circle on the left and she said i could just can't get used to that and in that case i said well just give it a few months you know you you know 60 days and you'll you'll figure it out and it'll be second nature james has a great story he told me recently about a switcher involving a font that that is um amazing because this switch was one of those situations where um i this is this is a business owner who I've worked for and know for years and uh, came to me with a a disaster situation with his Panasonic. 
Um, and uh, as we resolved that, I remember uh, looking at him for about six months. And again, each time having the conversation diplomatically, of course, about, you know, hey, you can, there is another way to do this. And, and I think it'd be better and I can help you. Um, you know, being alluding to and sometimes even being pretty direct that you can switch to the Mac. And it was never a priority. And then one day I decided I went out to the Apple store, I bought um, a MacBook and I set it up for him with all of his, his settings, VPN, getting his, his, you know, exchange server configuration, everything on it. And then the next morning when I saw him, I actually just put it on his desk and I said, here, would you try using this for a couple of hours and just let me know what you think? And I said, I'm going to give you 20 minutes of training and just give you the basics for how to navigate and get through this. And, um, and he fell in love. I mean, it was, it was amazing because here's a gentleman who'd be using an iPhone and an iPad and was in the stone ages of not being able to properly get his text message forwarding and all this stuff. And there were other things that he wanted to do and people he wanted to communicate with in business and personally. And so, uh, this was, this was literally like, um, forgive me, I'm blanking on the movie right now, you know, coming out from the subterranean and, and all of a sudden seeing light for the first time yeah. for this guy. And, uh, so pick your movie of choice for that. And, um, and then, uh, fast forward a few weeks later. And what was really interesting is he had one really, really rough morning where he opened up a document and this is the first time we'd ever seen this, but he opened up a document and the document on his server was in a font specifically a Japanese font that was actually created by Microsoft that um, did not offer a acceptable substitution. And usually, and again, for, for anybody who's meeting me for the first time, I've, I'm degreed in Japanese language and literature. And so that's another one of my areas of helping people. But um, I happen to be a language nerd. So for me, usually with Japanese fonts and other Asian fonts and so forth, it's not a problem. Uh, when I did my undergraduate degree back in the 90s in Japanese, uh, you used a Mac that stuff did not exist properly on a PC. And so Apple's always ruled there. In this case, there was one font that actually didn't have a proper substitution. And so several Google searches later in Japanese, I come to find out that this is a massive problem where Microsoft actually authored a proprietary font that has no proper substitution. Um, and so in finding the solution out, um, this, this gentleman was just so exasperated and so tired of this, uh, he was ready to give up. And one of the things that we did is, again, in the spirit of saying yes, is uh, I showed him how you can act, we can set up each machine as we go, whether it's his or any other machine, to once we find the right substitution font. So his, his proposals and all the work documents that have been generated over a period of, you know, 20 years or however long it's been, we can have those auto substituted on the Mac. Not perfect, but it's definitely possible. But this is an example of something you want to get up front because that created a really, really bad day for him. And so now fonts are actually on my survey checklist of what are the company fonts. And as I think about it in here in Orange County, where, um, where I'm based out of, um, nearly all the businesses that I work with outside of law firms usually have some kind of proprietary fancy font for their letterhead. And so it's really, really key that that actually comes up along with all the other minutia. Yeah. You mentioned, you said you gave him a brief 20 minute training or so. But what kind of training do you typically recommend? And I, I realize that answer is going to vary whether you're dealing with an individual or a large business or a, a small business. But I mean, at a minimum, and do you offer people levels? Do you offer, do you recommend books? I mean, people train differently, but 
Give us some ideas for the types of resources that you recommend um, for workplaces or individuals who are switching to a Mac that people might find useful. Totally. Um, so to answer your question, I created a seminar that I call the Switchability Seminar. And when I first created this back in 2013, it's because I was working uh, I had been hired by a company out here that had grown from about eight people to about 150. And I had one weekend to prepare to train 80 onboarded um, business development professionals. And when I met these guys and did the standard um, process of asking them, you know, where do you guys come from? Who's got a Mac? And I see a showing of hands. We had about maybe 10, 10 or 12 people out of the 80 who actually had a Mac at home. And we're actually just giddy happy that the company was going to be handing the MacBook Airs. They were just ecstatic over that. They'd never seen that before. Um, they weren't asking any questions. It was almost like they didn't want to say anything because they were afraid somebody would realize they made a mistake and take them away and hand them a Toshiba or something like that. <laughs> and um, I mean, literally, they were keeping it that quiet. Like, I wonder if they know. And um, for the other ones, though, who had not used a Mac, I said, great. OK, so guys, and I had in my hip pocket already in my keynote presentation being a guy who's dealt with Windows since Windows 3.1 and Windows 95, I, I, I get to see how Windows people use their machines all day long, right? So I actually asked them, um, hey, guys, what are, the, what are the top things you do that make up 80 to 90% of your workday? And I said, let me give you an example, uh, emailing clients. Um, and so they went off through this list. We ended up with uh, seven topics. Uh, one of them is, is, first of all, when you're out in the field, I'm sorry, first of all, when you turn on your machine, how do you find things? That's the first thing. How do you find a file? When you save a file, where do you know to save it? And so if you take someone, and, and you guys know this, and all of your listeners know this, that or, or should, and that's why we're talking about it, is that with probably about maybe two minutes of demonstration training and allowing someone to do it themselves, they realize that it's less steps to save a file where you want it and then be able to go back and find it on a Mac dramatically less steps, usually half uh, compared to Windows. But the thing is, though, they're not going to know that. And so that one little thing becomes this arduous, huge obstacle. So in that switchability seminar, which was only 15 minutes for each group of about 10 people, we we basically had them all open up their computers and we, we navigated to find a file. We saved a file. We printed a file. We did all these basic functions and we had them do it. That was the key thing. And then, then we also moved on to the fundamentals of email. How do you do this? And so all of a sudden what we're doing is we're just saying, this is, this is definitely a little bit foreign to you, but let's just try it and have fun with it. So then the next thing, um, Katie was actually providing them some backup to that. And that's where, that's where I think the most important way, especially for anybody out there who's considering tasking their IT department to do this, I would find somebody who understands your operations intimately that it, and that's probably not going to be the IT guy in most cases, but it might be. Might be like an office manager or something like that. Yeah, exactly. An office manager. Basically, your your most awesome designated responsible individual for anything. Somebody who says, you know, somebody who can get more stuff done than you can possibly push at them, and they know how things work and they know how you want things to be. And then, but also somebody who's really sensitive who happens to have the qualities of a teacher. So that's somebody who's meek that can learn and realize that other people do things differently sometimes than them. And that's okay. And then you actually create little videos. And so if you use a, I, I use your screencast constantly. I tell people all the time about, you know, the Max Sparky screencast, because I think that when somebody gets to watch things and they can pause it and they can try it themselves, that's hugely valuable. 
So giving someone hands-on and then following it up by giving them something that they can go back and refer to is massive. And where you kind of reverse engineer this is you go, okay, what do PC users have to do? And another one, uh, so thinking about all the CEOs and, and business owners out there that I know that are uh, globetrotters that are constantly on planes and raising money or doing whatever they do across different states, um, just the simple act of tethering their phone to get internet while, uh, while they're at a airport or understanding how Wi-Fi works. Because not understanding how Wi-Fi works on a Mac and being able to do some, like understanding how to clear out certain preferences and things like that when you're troubleshooting, all this stuff is absolutely teachable to a completely non-technical person. And that's a belief system that also needs to be, you know, ended right away is that you don't have to be um, crazy technical to, to learn that core stuff, which is kind of a threat to some, you know, technical types. But it's really liberating when when you actually want to be the technical expert and you realize you totally can be master and commander of your own machine. So you reverse engineer these things based upon their workflow. What are they going to do? Let's open up your calendar and show me what you're going to be doing for work for the next three months. And I will build an agenda that will ensure that you can hone your Mac, you know, to be able to enable you to do that without having to lift a finger or make a support call. Turn it into the samurai sword. Turn it into a samurai sword that can be honed exactly the way the master intended. And so one of the things we talked about the hit list earlier that we make the hit list, and this would be a great time to teach the hit list to say, okay, now you're on a Mac. And I know one of the key things you do is every week you make this one report and then you print it and distribute it. So let's just go and explain how to do that. And uh, even to the extent uh, picking up on James's point, uh, make a screencast. Uh, even, you know, if you're in the office or even for your spouse, so long as it doesn't land you in the doghouse, I could see that happening sometimes. <laughs> um, but the uh, but make a screencast just to show, OK, these are the steps you take. And so uh, especially but in the workplace where people, you know, people may change, personnel may change or maybe something they don't do often enough to remember, they can always go back and watch the video. You know, one other one other quick thing on that, David, too. Um, I just recently took a um, a relatively long trip to Japan. And during that time, I wanted to make absolutely certain that uh, three of my uh, new folks back at the office could do everything they needed to do. And I couldn't just because I could have a belief system that said that, OK, these are Macs. What could go wrong? But we happen to use this really obscure, I, I won't even get into it because it'll, it'll make people's heads hurt, but I have an obscure application here that only runs in a very ancient version of Firefox um, that we need internally. And so I, I broke out um, ScreenFlow and uploaded to a secure Vimeo Pro in a place, which, which on the Mac, I mean, literally takes five minutes to learn how to do. And I had uh, six training videos created in under a day. That basically showed my folks, even if somebody had to run out to an Apple store and buy a new Mac and show them how to go and actually find the application, how to install it and what to do with it. So that way, what happens is that 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 one horrible application, which is kind of like the the thing we have to contend with, doesn't doesn't automatically um, ruin it for for the rest of it, because, you know, what will happen in a lot of organizations and. I don't know if, if uh, the term is still used, but there's the occasional Mac hater or Mac bigot or whatever you want to refer to them as who will look for any excuse to to say, oh, this is not going to work. And there's a lot of applications out there that actually have some issues and things like that. So taking the time to actually put those screencasts together and train 
is really awesome because it just removes the excuse out of the way. And then we can all focus on what we want, which is success. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is data. Now, when you're switching somebody, yourself or somebody else, um, you're going to have a PC with a bunch of data on it. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about business, but I want to talk about personal as well, like your photo library and your documents library and all these things. Um, what are some good workflows for that? I mean, Katie, have you dealt with that? I'm sure, I, I know like in your user group, you help a lot of people with these types of issues. Uh, plug in hard drive, transfer data over, live happy. Well, it, no, it's not kidding. necessarily it because you're, you're on a PC to start with. And sometimes the data is not even in the right format. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing you have to, uh, this, this goes hand in hand with, with part of your inventory um, is I think not only inventory, the apps you use, the the hardware you use, but what, what format is your data? And sometimes that data conversion has to take place on the PC in order to convert it more into a universal format or, or into a format that your, that your Mac can read. Um, we experienced this in the legal industry years ago with the uh, word perfect Microsoft word transition. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of people in the legal industry still have word perfect files running around that are not Microsoft word on the PC, I think can open them pretty easily, but Microsoft word on the Mac, not so much. Um, I think you have to look at where is your data being stored? Um, if you're an individual, that's, that's one thing. Um, in, in, in that case, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, Apple has actually created tools to help you migrate from an individual PC to a Mac. If, if you're in a business, then I think, you know, you have to look at where are your files being stored. In most cases, a lot of your files are being stored on a server. So how are you connecting your Mac to the server? Who has access to what levels? You know, those are things that, that typically your IT people can help you set up and making sure that your, your server connects immediately. And are those files going to be open and are they going to be readable by the versions of the applications that you have? I think a lot of that is handled just in in your due diligence. Um, for the file, I personally, I think in most businesses, you're going to find that a lot of data is not actually stored on individual computers or probably shouldn't be. It's going to be um, on on a server or this may be a time to consider moving that stuff into some kind of cloud service. It's probably not a bad idea also just to clone the PC or at least keep the PC around for a while because like James's font issue, I mean, you never know there'll be some little bit of data that you needed on that old machine that didn't transition. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talk about that even when you're switching from one Mac to another or, or doing a major operating system change to have that, you know, we call it like a shelf hard drive. Um, I, I yeah. think you're right. I think keeping the PC or if you're making a total switch, at least keeping a PC in the office maybe for several months after the the transition, something inevitably is going to come up. James, how do you deal with that? So the first thing I'd recommend is everybody gets the book uh, by Dr. Seuss. Are you my mother? Okay. I'm, I'm, why is that? Well, um, so there's actually, there's really uh, four things. If I were to articulate the four points, the first one is um, Dr. Seuss's, are you my mother is, it goes into um, basically finding discovering things by looking for it. Now you can read the book. I won't get into it. But the, the whole idea is you do have to do your due diligence. Number one, that's the key thing. You've got to go around and try to find everything. And if you're if you're a techie um, or a technical professional, then typically your training started with break fix training. Right. Which is. Apple calls it split half troubleshooting and there's any number of phrases for it. But what it means is that you go and you look in the areas that you are expecting to find things to see if things are there Um, at another level. And this is probably going to get really nerdy, uh, but 
for those of you who have heard of the OSI model or those of you who have not, go to Wikipedia and check out the OSI model. That's um, Oscar Sierra India. That will show you the model that... Um, Hopefully I'm not doing too deep of a dive here, but that'll show you the model of how computers work and not just how computers work, but how all technology systems work in general. And it's been the same model for decades. And so when you when you learn the OSI model and it only takes about an hour to kind of like get your head around it, what you realize is that uh, an application that's installed is one thing, but that application needs to talk, which means that there's probably some preferences under the hood. And then where does it go and find its data? Is that somewhere on the network? Is it not on the network? who furnishes that. And so you can kind of go up and down the OSI model to be able to do your spelunking and find out what are the things you need to do in your due diligence to make sure you don't miss anything. But point number three is that neither one of those things will actually tell you what isn't there. And so if I go back to the same customer with the font issue, one of the things that was interesting to me is uh, I have an assumption about this one customer that had nothing to do with his computer, whether it's Mac or PC. It's the assumption that you're a business owner and you probably need to access, especially if you've got a local server, you probably need to access that on the weekend, I'm assuming, or after hours. And uh, his office manager said, oh, yes, he's he's connected to it all night long and all weekend long. And when I talked to him, when we were sitting down and going over this machine that I put in front of him, I asked him about the VPN. And I, and I said, because uh, I've done my due diligence and I, I can't seem to find it. And he goes, I haven't used that in over a year and a half. And then I asked him why. And he said, well, because the techs couldn't figure that out and it was too much of a pain. And so I decided not to use it. So the thing that's really interesting is in the switch, one of the things that you'll uncover is going to be those things that aren't being used. And the only way to find that out is to actually have the conversation, whether it's with yourself or someone else, right? And then uh, number four, I would agree with uh, what you both said about keeping the old stuff. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely make a um, kind of a guiding rule is always, always, always make sure that you keep your platform accessible to you and also intact so you can revert back to it. Because the, the good thing is for this customer with the font issue, that morning he had an absolutely critical deadline and he un, uh, 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 revealed the one issue well, I had intentionally asked him to please keep that Panasonic machine on standby right next to him. It's kind of the in case of fire break glass. And he had it right there. That's really, really critical because you can't, we cannot force the switch. Sometimes you need to stop and analyze it and, and make a carefully thought out decision. So keeping that old machine is important. And I would also say on that same note, always, always, always work off of a copy and try never to work on the source. Um, every few times I've ever had to work on sources, there are powers and things that happen in software where that can preclude you from being able to get back to that original machine. So this is where you really want to take the extra effort and energy and have the right technical resource that can actually make an exact copy, say, for example, of the Windows operating system and all your data and things like that before you start to manipulate it. Because if something goes wrong, you want to be able to stop the presses and put it on pause and, you know, tell the client why we're not going to have you on that Mac on a Monday morning. And here's what we've learned. And here's what we're going to do to make sure that the following Monday, you're going to be on that Mac with zero issues. Otherwise, it's, it's like a deal killer. And I've, every time you every time you're in source data, something goes wrong. Right. I mean, it seems like it's inevitable. <laughs> yeah, it's just. And, and the thing is, I, I had to do it again this last weekend with uh, an architect client because we discovered one thing. 
one little thing about switching from a regular hard drive to a solid state drive and how it makes Windows just get really, really angry. And it'll crash and it'll make the operating system non-bootable. And I would rather I would rather call it and and tell a client, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but I need to make sure that you're fully up and running on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. when you need to be up and running. And that learning is enough where you you reschedule it. So those kind of things are only possible if you're keeping the old machine and if you're keeping it intact. Well, we've got a lot more to cover in this outline, including what are we, what kind of hardware are we switching people to and virtualization There's maybe even some recommended software. But before we do, I want to talk about our next sponsor and that's our friends over at Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses. And, and can I just say that buying a mattress the old fashioned way is nuts. You know, you go to these various stores, all of the mattress manufacturers, they have different names for the same mattress in different stores. So it's almost impossible to price compare. I'm just, I'm flabbergasted whenever we used to go buy mattresses and I never could understand. You're supposed to lay on it for like five minutes in the store and decide whether that's something that's going to work for you or not. And it's also kind of creepy because everybody else is laying on the same mattress in the store. Uh, So, so Casper, the people behind Casper said, look, we're going to make this right. And uh, Casper provides uh, a quality mattress and they have an online model that really works. Uh, The mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. It's one of a kind. It's a hybrid. It includes both premium latex and memory foam. And this is really important. Uh, My wife and I, before we got a Casper, the mattress before we decided, let's get a memory foam. Everybody says we need to get that. So we spent a lot of money on this mattress. And I'll never forget um, the I we got it and you would like sink into it. And it was supposed to be great, but it was kind of weird. And And I got sick and I wanted to like roll over. Not that I was going to get sick, but you know, when you're sick, you just are uncomfortable. And I couldn't like roll over because I was so far in the mattress. I'm like trying to rock my body back and forth. And it was just nuts. But Casper isn't like that. It's hybrid. So it's just the right sink, just the right balance. It it is not like that, but it is super comfortable. We're so happy with our Casper mattress. Um, Anyway, it's obsessively engineered and it's a shockingly fair price. Well, what is that price? Uh, mattresses usually cost $1,500 or more. Casper mattresses cost between $500 for the twin size, $750 for the full size, $850 for queen, and $950 for a king size mattress. And that is a really fair price for an amazing product. Uh, they're all made in America. They understand buying mattress can be uh, difficult and leaving you wondering if this is right or not. Uh, they got it all covered. They send it to you, comes in a box, which is, you know, a whole nother discussion. In fact, Katie Floyd has a uh, mattress opening parties at her house. I right? do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you open it up and you put it on and it just expands. It, it goes right on top of your bed. You get a hundred day period, um, for return. So if you get it, you don't have to do the five minute, let me lay on it and try it. You get a hundred days. And if it doesn't work, you call them up. They come, they even have a guy that helps you take care of getting it back to them. Um, it, it's just an amazing product. So happy to have them as a sponsor because I really like to see when a, a company comes into space that has just got a dreadful consumer experience and they fix it. And that's what Casper did. Not only do you get a great mattress, not only do you get a great price, because you're listening to Mac Power users, you're going to get a deal. Listeners of the show get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash MPU. And that's MPU at the end for Mac Power users and using the code MPU. Um, go check it out. It's a great mattress. I can tell you, I sleep in one every night. I know Katie does too. Uh, Casper, uh, thank you for sponsoring the Mac power users. 
So I know we're running out of time. We've we've spent a lot of time kind of on theory, but let's let's talk more about some of the logistics of of the actual switch, especially if you're switching a business or if you're switching a longtime PC user. They're they're probably going to need to still have access to Windows for some things. I mean, if you can get them completely off, that'd be great. But either for a transition period or for those couple of lingering apps, you know, what is the state of that? Do you do you go the virtualization model? Do you go the boot camp model? Do you keep maybe a couple of PCs dedicated in the office? You know, what's the best way to move forward with that? So a couple things uh, right now. First, let's hit the personal, I think, first, if that's OK. The, right. um, the one of the first things that I would recommend is usually um, is is definitely look at the if you're going to make the switch to a Mac and you're fully committed to it, then definitely um, buy as much as you can afford uh, once you figured out the right form factor. Right. So that's there's there's a lot we could go into like gory detail on the form factor. Like, you know, do you buy something? big or small or whatever in terms of screen size. But the thing is, when it comes to RAM and storage, um, one of the most common mistakes that I see in uh, my business on a daily basis is a belief system that perpetuates that says, because I'm in the cloud, I need less storage. And that's it's the same mistake that's really common on uh, iPhone purchases as well. Most cloud services nowadays if they're if they're awesome, will have something to do with how they enable the Mac or the PC or whatever to do something. So, for example, uh, I use Box.com Enterprise, and um, I you know I probably have about sixty or seventy gigs of data that is locally synced, and that's really really critical part of my business. I can think of several businesses where desktop sync is extremely critical. And so when you buy a a Mac, if somebody buys it and goes for 128 gig or a 256 gig solid state drive, when they really should be at the 512, um, they will maybe pay the price soon, but they'll definitely pay the price later if they haven't forecasted out what their need's going to be. That's especially going to be a a problem if you're virtualizing too. too. Oh yeah, huge, yeah. Um, For anybody who's going to be, I would say as a general rule, and again, this is general, there's always the exceptions to this, for anybody switching from Windows, um, you know, even with uh, the smallest of drives, you know, 100 gigs or 200 gigs of data or something like that, um, going straight to a 512, for example, and I'm, you know, somebody listening to this in the future is going to be like laughing, but the uh, it's really critical. Get as much as you can possibly afford and have a good conversation with someone about that, because if you talk to somebody who's a smart resource, they can they can help you um, do some basic estimation. Uh, I use uh, Fermi estimation, F-E-R-M-I, for those who want to kind of Google search it, uh, Enrique Fermi, and I can quickly kind of figure out, okay, what am I going to forecast my need to be over the next two or three years? And then, um, David, I know you and I talk about this all the time. No matter how big the drive, we're going to find a way to fill it. <laughs> yeah. It's, you grow, it's just like, that was it? You, you, you spend as much money as you make and you use as much hard drive as you have. Always. <laughs> the, um. Yeah, I, I agree with it. And it's even more critical now that Apple makes it more and more difficult, frankly, to upgrade these things. So uh, when you buy it, you need to get what you need. But but getting to that virtualization question where Katie uh, was talking about um, with individual switchers, I don't I don't put them on a virtualized uh, PC machine unless like if it is an estate plan attorney who says, oh, yeah, I have to have this PC software, then we'll do it. But generally with uh, friends and family who are switching I usually tell them, look, why don't you just try and use the Mac for a month and see what happens? And if if you really need it, there is something that we can put on your machine to make it run Windows software. 
some people say, Dave, I really need it. You know, I don't even want to wait and I'll set up virtualization software with them and I'll check with them in 90 days. And I'll say, well, how often are you using that virtual machine? And they'll so often they'll say, well, I don't even use it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And the other thing that they'll say 30, 60, 90 days out is how many problems they're having. Uh, and then if you ask, if you'd kind of drill down into more details, you'll find out that the problems they're having are actually Windows problems that are on that virtual PC. So I think if somebody's made up their mind, they're switching to Mac, then then it's really in this case, I can speak for myself as basically a Sherpa that helps people switch to Mac. One of the things I will do, and James I've had Coleman, to do this. Mac Sherpa. Mac Sherpa. <laughs> Put on your switching, card. <laughs> switching Sherpa. I didn't think about that. I love that. Um, but, but I mean, even, even my, my current project and, and the project that uh, uh, was my brainchild from 2010, Switcher Genius, actually required an attitudinal shift where I had to realize that I know well enough that if we switch you to Mac and if we do it the right way, you know, and, and, uh, you know, without, without again, upsetting anyone here, um, I just had to help a client over the last six months come to the realization for themselves that all the problems that they had with Microsoft outlook in, in this one particular uh, context of their business, they don't have to, they're on these beautiful El Capitan machines. Why not? And, and Apple's done a marvelous job with mail um, and all I had to do was the exact same thing I do with the other customers, put them into mail. So f- if you're going to switch, I agree with, uh, David completely in that come up with a plan that says, unless there's absolutely no other way, let's just go Mac native. And it just takes so much complexity off. It changes everything. You don't have to deal with constant, you know, the worry about how do you back up a virtual machine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's absolutely the way to go. Okay. But if you do end up putting a virtualized machine on. Uh, let's take a minute to just kind of ponder that. What what is your recommendation going in generally? Well, before we do, let's let's high level the options because people may not be aware of the current state of that. Um, there there really there were three, and I would say now there are really two options. Um, I mean there there was Parallels um, and VMware, which were two popular are two popular virtualization options. And I used to really tell people there was there was no downside to either one. They were each kind of leapfrogging each other with, um, you know, with software updates, you know, one or the other. I, I do have a little bit of concern based on some things that I've read about uh, VMware in terms of its continued development. Um, so I might be a little more inclined to go with parallels now. But what the Parallels versus VMware, those are virtualization products. And what that means is it's going to run Windows inside your Mac. You're not going to have to reboot your Mac. You can run your Windows apps side by side. You can either run them in a window, Windows in a window, or or you can run them. And I think they call it like coherence or convergence mode, which kind of strips away the Windows interface and tries to make the window app that you're running look like a native app, Mac app. It's it's really not, but it it... it does some bells and whistles to try to make it look like that now. And also in those apps, you can also run them full screen windows mode, which for right. some switchers is kind of the way to go because it, they're, they're comfortable with it. Right now you, you are running windows on a Mac, which means you need to worry about all the things that come with that. Um, you may need to be concerned about virus protection, especially if you're connecting that windows box to the internet, if you're, you know, web browsing, or um, email or things like that, or doing any kind of file management in that Windows app. 
Um, and so you need to be aware of all of those things that come with that. You can't just say, oh, it's fine. I'm on a Mac. I don't have to worry about viruses or things like that. Uh, you know, you may have some problems in the Windows app. Uh, the other option is boot camp. And what boot camp is going to allow you to do is is make a make a separate partition on your Mac's hard drive specifically to install and run Windows. Now, it is completely segregated from your Mac. So in order to to run your Windows programs, you are actually going to need to reboot your Mac. You will boot into Windows and you will no longer be in your Mac. And you that is probably the fastest way or it's undoubtedly the fastest way to run Mac because you're having direct on hardware access to it. You're not virtualizing anything. Um, but it is inconvenient from the standpoint that you are no longer in your Mac. You're, you're now basically on a PC because the Macs and PCs now have very similar hardware um, and, and can run the same types of, of software. I tend to lean towards, personally, the virtualization option unless you're doing something where you where you really need the absolute best performance. Um, if you're drafting or, or using software of some kind for file management, virtualization is probably going to be okay. Um, where, where, where are you running into problems with virtualization these days, James? Uh, you know, I, I like, um, Katie, that was a really fantastic high-level explanation. And I would, I would basically um, want to reinforce that the, one of the key considerations is what Katie just talked about. When she talks about direct access to the hardware, um, if you're running a you know an, an architecture shop or something that's designed and you need an application that's really a high-power graphics application that's going to really take advantage of that video card inside of the uh, of the iMac, for example, that you bought, then and and you're going to be living in Windows to do that. That application is what you do for eight hours a day. Then boot camp makes sense. But I've also seen in an architect's case or someone else, for example, is using uh, Adobe or something like that, a uh, Photoshop, that um, there's there's no reason why you can't go in virtualization mode if you don't need to have that instant, you know, um, super high powered video card response, because that it's going to go through a virtualized process where it's got to go through software. So there is that tiny, tiny bit of noticeable lag. So uh, one of the things I found is that you put that machine in front of the user and you test it. So if you're going to this new for an organization, do it both ways. Set it up in bootcamp first. And, and again, this is a, an expense I would highly recommend anybody do before they actually go and implement is in your planning stages. Don't just, you know, um, assess and then plan and then budget, but also prototype, you know, get a machine and then put it in front of the users who are going to use it and ask them, hey, how does this feel in uh, virtualization and VMware? That's a, that's a really important thing. And, and then the you, other thing is occasionally you will find very, very rarely in the last five years, I have only encountered one company that actually did program their software where it could not run in virtualization. It actually detected it and it would shut down. And it was just a, a, a very um, proprietary application for a very you know niche business. But in those cases, that's when you'd run bootcamp. Otherwise, uh, I would agree... Uh, if you really need to, virtualization is definitely the way to go. I've got a, um, I have a Windows 8.1 uh, virtualized machine that only takes up 13 gigs of space on my hard drive. And so uh, if I need to whip out Windows as a utility to be able to do something that only Windows can do, I've got it right there when I need it. Yeah. And I think you also need to take this in account when you're buying your hardware, too, is if, if you're going to have to run, you know, if you're an architect, 
you're probably going to have different needs than someone who's doing primarily word processing and you want to buy the hardware accordingly. Uh, the other option that I mentioned, because I know if, I, if we don't, um, that we'll get email about it. And, and David, I'm kind of blanking on the name if you can help Crossover. me out. Here. Yes, thank you. Um, there's a, there is an app called, so if you, whether you're running Parallels or uh, VMware or Bootcamp, you are going to need a full licensed copy of Windows um, and, and you are going to need the Windows apps that you're going to have to install. And so there is some additional expense associated with that. There is an application called Crossover that attempts to um, allow you to run Windows applications without actually having to run Windows. Yeah, it changes it, the software calls to it basically translates them to Mac. However, it it tends to be very application specific and, and they keep, keep that in mind and they, they allow you have to demo period and things like that. Um, but it's really one of those things that if it works with your application, great. Um, if it doesn't, you're probably going to need a full blown windows solution. Kitty, I've got a, I've got something. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the other thing I'd follow up on is I had a friend recently. She was a, uh, she's an accountant, just a friend of the family and she wanted to switch to, to Mac and, I helped her out and we figured out that her software was all going to be good. But the big problem was every time I went over her house, her son was playing games on the PC. You know, I said, your son plays a lot. He's probably going to want to continue doing that. Right. <laughs> and she said, yeah, of course. So, so that was another uh, good case for bootcamp. We set up a bootcamp partition and she loves it now because he actually doesn't work on the Mac at all. All her like email and all her stuff is, is hers and then when he wants to play his game he boots into windows because the the games on windows are are more available than they are on the mac makes sense makes sense yeah um, i've got one more i've got one more option i'd like to put out there for you guys and your listeners that i think you might love um and it actually there's really two ways where this makes sense number one uh, actually applies to probably everybody out there who's a potential switcher is don't wait until your PC breaks. Uh, most people, and I, I, I sat on AppleCare's advisory board for years, and uh, we talked uh, extensively about switching because it's been a real big focus of Apple for over well over a decade. And one of the things that was real interesting is in my own studies, I found that the number one reason people wait to switch to Mac, the number one reason is because uh, they can still use the PC and they're afraid of all the stuff that we're talking about because no one has taken the time to have the conversation or they didn't have a show like this to listen to. This show is going to be eye-opening for so many people. And I think so many people will switch to Mac because they realize that there's actually a formula you can process. Um, but one of the things that's important is don't wait for your PC to break because things get so much more complicated when it's broken. And if you, if you have a PC that's in relatively decent shape, and again, um, this, there's a lot of question mark around what decent really means, but in general, um, it's, it's functioning, it's, it uh, turns on, it boots up and so forth. VMware, who as a company, not VMware Fusion, but as a company, they pioneered virtualization back in the day. They kind of invented the technology. One of the things that they did in the PC space is they created a application called the VMware Standalone Converter. It's a free download. Uh, it is an executable. It's a Windows file only. It does not run on the Mac. So it has to be run on the PC that you're converting. But And it is it is not a uh, what you see is what you get type of application. It's definitely a little bit more complex. But when you run that, you can actually take and point at a external hard drive, like a FAT32 you know, or a hard drive, and you can actually build a VM directly off the PC that you're actually booted to. 
you can even send it over the network. And one of the things that's really cool about that is if you wanted to keep your PC for posterity, so you can go back and reference things like we talked about the business owner that would keep the PC for 30, 60, 90 days to reference, but you wanted to, you absolutely wanted to get rid of the thing and recycle the hardware. Um, you could do this and it's really neat because you can actually just turn on that old PC anytime you want. There's a, some cleanup that needs to happen, but all of your apps, all of your settings, all your viruses, all that stuff on the PC will be exactly contained in a virtual machine that'll run exactly the way you had it. So that could be really, really useful for some folks. In fact, I do that uh, when I want to keep a, um, a server alive, even after the support at the hardware level has been killed off by you know Microsoft. Well, I want to take a quick break here and talk about our last sponsor. And then when we come up back, because uh, we're running a little bit long here, maybe wrap up with some final thoughts and some best practices for doing a switch. So our last sponsor for this episode is our pals over at Squarespace. And Squarespace is the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful website. Uh, whether you just need a simple landing page, whether you need a full-blown website, or whether you need to create an online store for e-commerce, you can start building your website today over at squarespace.com. And when you decide to, be sure you enter the coupon code MPU at checkout and make sure you get 10% off your first purchase. So why do we love Squarespace? Well, Squarespace will start you off with some easy to use templates that helps you capture every detail that you're looking for in your website. You can figure out what drives you. What is your passion? What do you want to convey in this website? And Squarespace is help, help you get there. Squarespace gives you all of the power you need in your hands, and it takes away all of the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about what happens if you get stuck. Squarespace is going to help you build a professionally designed website, regardless of your skill level, with no coding required. You're going to be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Uh, Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to help you build and power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and by some of the most represented brands of the world. All of their templates are stunning to look at, and they feature responsive design to make your site look great on all sides of devices. But that's just getting started. Uh, they have ton of features, including 24-7 customer support, live chat and email. They've got teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland. So they're scattered all around the world to help you no matter what time zone you're in, no matter how late at night you're up working on your site, someone from Squarespace is going to be able to help you. And they've got a dedicated commerce platform built in. So if you decide you want to start selling things with your website, you don't have to go out and find another solution. Squarespace has one built in that's going to help you manage your shopping cart. It's going to help you sell your supplies. It's going to help you get paid. And it's just great. And if you just need something simple, or if you want to create a cover page before your new site launch, Squarespace can do that too. They can allow you to build great looking single page websites that are rock solid. Uh, if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should definitely check out their development plan platform. This lets you dig, dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site to your heart's content. Um, and if you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Uh, Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. You can sign up now with no credit card required and start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And if you decide to sign up, make sure you use coupon code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. So we'd like to thank Squarespace for their continued support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. You know, James, when you were talking about that VM tool, I got thinking, you know, one of the reasons I had you on the show is because you're just so experienced with this stuff. 
Um, so let's put on our nerd hats for a segment here and say, you know, forget about somebody who doesn't isn't a tech nerd, but somebody who is and wants to help someone switch or is initiating a switch at the workplace or at the house. Um, what are some of the software tools and workflows that you have found essential in your years of doing this for people? Totally. Um, I, I can I was actually just thinking of a few. One is. um you know, uh, I, I got to say Carbon Copy Cloner, is, uh, which is made by Mike Bombich, and you can find it at, at bombich.com, B-O-M-B-I-C-H.com, uh, is an amazing tool. It's actually um, disk utility kind of skinned and, and scripted a certain way. Amazing for transferring data. Um, terminal, the Mac terminal and actually learning some basic commands like CP command for copy and things like that. If you just uh, get just about five minutes of um education on some of the basic stuff you can do some amazing data copies because I, I think katie had referred to it before in terms of you know you plug the hard drive in and so forth but one of the things is how do you how do you make sure that people's data will actually literally copy versus not copy um there's a fantastic tool out there um that is useful if you run into a problem because one of the things bear in mind that actually it's only when the machine's under the knife that um, all of a sudden all the problems come to the front that makes the switching process very painful. And so the key for a technical professional out there is there's going to be the things that you can assess in advance, but there's always going to be the surprises. And so um, uh, one of the uh, one of the tools that I have found to be the most powerful for me being able to help get past an impasse is uh, PC Unlocker, which is a really inexpensive, cheap utility on the PC for being able to reset uh, passwords on uh, Windows machines. That can be really helpful when you're trying to get access to the it's data. That easy? That, you just download that an app? kind of scares me a little bit. Uh, it is that easy. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, uh, if you guys have heard of BitLocker, it's it's about the same amount of effort to basically unencrypt a PC. Wow. <laughs> I just did it for a company last week. Um, so so for those of you out there concerned about security, you need to switch to a Mac right now. Um, <laughs> and get one password. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's amazing. Um, you, you mentioned all the 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 great apps on the Mac side. I mean, the the key thing is there's the ones for switching. Uh, the Apple Migration Utility. I actually wrote a blog post, and I'll make sure that this is also up and available to you. But I wrote an extensive one on on how to use it recently, and the uh, the Apple Migration Utility is really useful for migrating um, the data from a PC to the Mac. Uh, but there's also some really, really good, I, I'd say probably 100% of the tools that that um, I use for helping Outlook users switch to the Mac are available actually on the App Store. So if you look up uh, OLM and PST Converter, for example, and remember the, de- the devil's in the details in these apps. So don't get angry if you download the wrong one. You've got to read the detail on this stuff. But and they're expensive. Um, and I say expensive compared to the two dollar app. They might be 20 or 30 dollars. But these things are absolutely priceless when it comes to finding ways of getting your data out of Outlook into maybe a third party application uh, on the Mac and then ultimately getting it into a mail app. And then um, one of the other things that I would highly recommend is kind of a category of apps is um, back to the whole OSI model. And this is definitely nerd stuff. Sometimes an application does not exist for going from point A to point B. And when you hit that, the key thing is not to stop and just give up. 
the key thing is to think about, okay, who out there makes an, uh, a service that would allow me to access my data somewhere and then access it via a Mac elsewhere? And so um, I'll give you an example. I've used uh, Google Apps for Business as an example to help users migrate volumes of data from a PC into a format that then the Mac can actually read and download, even if they want to end up with some other mail service in the yeah, long like, run. Or, or even like calendar data is the same thing. Google Calendar so often is that middle step between one place and another. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that most people don't, um, I, I think most people don't give Apple enough credit for is that uh, Apple is probably the most open in um, their standards. So for example, Microsoft is absolutely shut down and locked down in so many ways. The, the format of Outlook is really designed um, for a world in the 1980s when everybody was on Outlook and that was the only application that really existed. And so now you can actually synchronize that data to any number of different cloud services and then use calendar and contacts and mail on the application to import common exported files. So that's called using the cloud as kind of middleware for your switch. And when you do that, you can you can not only get the switch done more effectively, but you can also, especially if we're talking to the IT guys out there, you can actually switch, you know, uh, individuals, families, entire businesses seamlessly behind the scenes while people keep working all the way up until the moment of cutover where you actually give them the Mac. You can even train them in advance. So all of this stuff can be done um, you know, pretty elegantly. Those are great tips. And James, I hope you'll send us some some links for our show notes that we can uh, point people to these these resources and these programs. Absolutely. I'd love to and I will. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we've given some people some great ideas on how to get set up switching. Um, James, where can they find you if they're interested in learning a little bit more about what you do or follow you on Twitter or those types of things? Um, how can how can people contact you? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I am I am a new a relatively new Twitter convert. I love Twitter now. Uh, I would say anybody and everybody who wants to reach out to me there, you're absolutely welcome to. I'm at James Coleman. That's at J-A-M-E-S. And for those non-baby boomers out there, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, uh, at James Coleman. Um, also, um, you can reach me, my um, the, the company that I've been uh, working and doing all of this switching at for the better part of two decades is TechRoom, which is at techroom.com, T-E-C-H-R-O-O-M.com. And then uh, most recently, because I am so passionate about switching, um, I just recently launched switchergenius.com. And if you go to either techroom.com or switchergenius.com and uh, click on my newsletter, you can sign up for my newsletter there. Uh, there's four or five categories, uh, you know, that you can actually sign up for in terms of the kind of updates and the kind of content you'd like to get about switching. But Switcher Genius is really where I'm going to be dedicating all of my energy and effort into helping uh, the masses out there uh, who really want to switch to the Mac do so. Yeah, and we'll put links to all those in the show notes. I know several times in the past I've had listeners or even just friends ask about switching their companies and I don't want to deal with it. So I send them to James and they're always very happy. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks so much, James, for joining us and uh, helping us talk about switching. It, it took us, what is it now, seven years, six years, Kitty? But we seven got seven years, three hundred and thirty-one episodes. Yeah, three hundred and eleven episodes. Yeah. So that's a good additional resource if you're switching. There's a three hundred and ten episodes of Mac Power Users. You might want to go listen to some ideas there about what to do once you get your Mac up and running. 
Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us on Twitter at Mac Power Users. Katie is at Katie Floyd. I am at Max Sparky. If you have feedback, send it to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And if you've got some interesting uh, ideas about switching or or tips, uh, go ahead and send it in to us as an email or even better yet, send it in as an audio comment. We can include it in our live show, which records on the first Saturday of every month. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Smile, One Passwords, Casper, and Squarespace. And of course, thanks to all of you out there who have supported the show through your memberships over at Relay FM. We, we truly uh, appreciate that as well. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next time. 